There are only three STARS members left now. Captain Wesker, Jill, and myself. We don't know where Barry is. another episode of classic gaming brothers i'm zach and i'm seth we're the classic gaming brothers and seth it's been 100 episodes 100 episodes 100 numbered episodes 100 episodes that's pretty exciting and there's something else that's exciting about the day that this episode is available on it's halloween wow it's halloween and it's our 100th episode it's a encapsulation of wonder and joy it is it is isn't it happy 100 episodes thank you everyone for listening we're glad that you are all fans of this podcast or this is your first time listening because you thought i want to start with 100 in which case good on you maybe it's episode one maybe i've already deleted all the other ones (laughs) maybe this is episode one season two (laughs) oh no episode one season one the first one didn't count that was the prologue to the rpg and now we're finally at the title sequence that's my that's my favorite thing with some rpg games and some adventure games actually like modern adventure games not like classic adventure games but you'll play the game for like a solid 45 minutes to an hour and all of a sudden things will kind of slow down and you're like what's going on and then it just says like company's name presents and then it's the title and you're like it took this long to do a cold open for this video game anyway uh, because it's halloween we're going to actually focus today on some spooky games well rather a spooky game but before we get started uh we'll go through our recently played games and seth i'm going to make the executive decision that i'm going to go first for this one because your game is very much related to our topic today So I think it would be a good segue. So the game that I've recently played is Kid Dracula. Kid Dracula is a spinoff of the Castlevania games. The original Kid Dracula came out in 1990 on the Famicom. It did not come out in America. It was, however, ported to the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and Windows for the Castlevania Anniversary Collection, which contains um, pretty much all the original Castlevania games up to but excluding Symphony of the night which was included in a separate release called castlevania requiem but it has castlevania 1 2 3 super castlevania 4 bloodlines which was for the sega kid dracula and castlevania adventure 1 and 2 which were for the game boy so it's a pretty great collection of classic castlevania games is that how you've been playing it yeah through the anniversary collection um it's available on switch and on ps4 as i mentioned so i've played it on both i like having it on the switch because i can kind of just like pop in and play what i want and i can play it on the go which is nice now uh kid dracula specifically is kind of great to have on this collection it's the first time it's been officially released in the united states in this game you play as the demon king kid dracula who has awoken from his slumber and must now go fight the demon galamoth and it's really kind of a parody of castlevania it's a very cutesy game. Um, some people might call it like, it's not really a cute up as we described in our shooters episode, but it, it, it's kind of 
kind of along that lines. It's a it's a kind of cutesy platformer where Kid Dracula is this like child who shoots fireballs with his fists, and all the monsters you're fighting are all like anime cute versions of the monsters from Castlevania. So instead of like a scary Frankenstein's monster, it's kind of a cute looking Frankenstein's monster, and all the bats have like happy faces on them and stuff like that. The game really is kind of a parody and love letter to the original Castlevania. There was a sequel to Kid Dracula, which was available in America on the Game Boy. And I actually also have a copy of that for the Game Boy, but my copy is a bootleg. Um, just a fun fact. Anyway, Kid Dracula, if you if you want to get a chance to play it, you can pick up the Castlevania Anniversary Collection. It's available on all the modern platforms. Uh, though I don't know if it's been ported over to the PS5 yet. That's a million dollar question. I'm sure it will be eventually. What about you, Seth? What have you been recently playing uh so recently i've been playing uh alone in the dark which is a game that was released in 1992 by infograms and is one of the first two games to use polygonal characters over a pre-rendered background and for the life of me i can't tell you the other one the guinness world records actually awarded it the first ever 3d survival horror game and they awarded it in 2008 oh nice did their research and they said here you go Alone in the Dark. It's a hard game. You play as either a dude or a lady, and you go into this home to investigate it, and you go to the attic, and then you try to leave as things start to attack you. I think you're looking for something. I, I usually skip the cutscenes, so I'm not particularly familiar. I just, I, I know I always end up in the attic, and then I made it out of the attic this time and progressed down into one of the rooms in the hall and i didn't go down the hole but then i died the only cutscene i can think of from alone of the dark is the opening one where it's shot from the window and you just see your guy slowly walking up the pathway he walks slowly everywhere (laughs) he doesn't just walk slowly up the pathway that's his speed period yeah the game is it is older since it was released in 1992 it's also a dos based game we owned it it was on three and a half floppies but i think there might be a disc version but for sure it was a dos game and playing it on a modern computer is tough and i ended up playing it and i played it in a very small window because of the resolution and i spent my time walking slowly and getting attacked and not being able to attack slowly i'm not sure if it requires you to use the entire animation before it engages the action like an attack or a like a gunshot because there is a shotgun you can get in the beginning and i shot it once and i wasn't able to pull it off again and i'm like hitting the command to like do something and these like zombies Zombie creatures are like tearing me up, but my animation is slower to attack than the zombie's animation. And whenever the zombie hits me, it resets my animation. Oh yeah, it's so obnoxious. I'm like trying to shoot or hit this zombie and he's just like spam attacking me into the wall. And somehow I like pimp slap him or something and he goes down because that's how I imagine this guy fights when he slaps. He just does like a like he pulls his hand back all the way and then charges forward with it. But then it makes like a slap noise (laughs) instead of like a thud or like a punch noise. I 
just picture him like just pimp slapping these zombies. But eventually I, I did kill the one zombie upstairs. I was quick enough to push the armoire in front of the window so the flying bat creature couldn't get me. Mm. But I wasn't quick enough to push the chest on the trap door so then the zombie was able to get me. And then I, I went downstairs and I was exploring and then a zombie came in through the door. Which I think was coming in from somewhere in the room that I left. But I ignored him. And I think they actually chase you to where you are. But he came through the door. I was opening the door. I'm like, I'm leaving this creepy bedroom. And then there was a zombie on the other side. And he killed me. And I was playing on the easy setting. So either I'm just really bad at video games. Or this game is just very, very difficult. And I'm going to say the latter. Because it is a tough game. It is a really tough game. I I played a little bit of Alone in the Dark recently too. And I don't think I got past the attic. So Of the OG Alone in the Dark. The OG Alone in the Dark, yeah. Because there is an Alone in the Dark too. Yes, uh, and, and there's Alone in the Dark 3, and many, many more. I think we actually talked about Alone in the Dark in episode 19, where we talk about horror games. There is also episode 48, where we talk about horror arcade cabinets, which we talk about the Typing Dead, which is a fun arcade cabinet. And we also talk about other other arcade cabinets. I don't know if you could talk about the Typing Dead for 45 minutes. I mean, I guess we could try. We could try. I mean, anything's possible if you really put your mind to it. We talked about That's Arcanum right. for about over about a half hour. So, But we're not here to talk about the Typing Dead, nor are we here to talk about Alone in the Dark. If you want to hear about those, check out our previous episodes. This episode, we're here to talk about Resident Evil. That's right, Resident Evil, uh, as the opening title crawl will say. The OG survival horror. The OG survival horror game. We're going to get into this, but uh, Alone in the Dark is a survival horror game, and it came out in 1992. Resident Evil is the original survival horror game. But Alone in the Dark is the first ever 3D survival horror game. But Resident Evil, we will go into, was the first game to be labeled a survival horror. So if that wasn't confusing, we'll we'll explain. It will make it more confusing, possibly. Resident Evil, um, which is known as Biohazard in Japan, got its start back in 1993. A development team from Capcom was looking to initially create a horror game for the Super Nintendo before the project migrated to the PlayStation in 1994. Initially, the game was heavily inspired by an earlier Capcom horror title, Sweet Home, which was released on the Famicom in 1989. Shinji Mikami was actually commissioned to make a game set in a haunted mansion based directly on Sweet Home, and Mikami would become the project lead for Resident Evil. Mikami's mentor in the project was Takaro Fujiwara, the creator of the original Sweet Home game. Now, we talked about Sweet Home briefly before, back in episode 19, but for those who haven't listened to our past episodes, Sweet Home was an RPG horror game released on the Famicom by Capcom. It was based on a movie of the same name. The story involves a group of filmmakers who are looking to document precious frescoes that are in a large mansion. Upon entering the mansion, they are confronted by a malicious force of creatures and ghosts. Have you ever played Sweet Home? I have. I have. I actually, I own a copy of, okay, I don't own a copy of Sweet Home because Sweet Home was never released in the United States. Sweet Home only came out in Japan. There is an English translation of Sweet Home available. It is not official, but it was never released in the United States because it was deemed too scary for the North American audience. Uh, Nintendo of America was really trying to keep their games like kid-friendly, and this game has like a person's face melts off. 
and reveals a skeleton underneath which is funny because there is another game called like monster party that did come out in the united states and that also has a guy's face melt off but i don't know apparently sweet home was too intense so i have this bootleg multi-cart i got of uh nes games and it does contain the english copy of sweet home on it so i have been able to play sweet home is it scary it's pretty spooky um sweet home is actually really cool because it has some mechanics you don't really see used in games of that era especially rpg games of that era such as permadeath for your party members oh right 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 and they have like weird jobs don't they yes specific members will have specific items and those members will really only have those items you can collect the items from the member but if the member dies in like a different part of the house and you can't get over to them you really be screwed because you might need that item like one of the characters has the camera to photograph the frescoes which you need to do throughout the game and if that character dies and you don't pick up that camera you're you're pretty much sol because you you kind of get really locked in trying to figure out how to progress um which i think is actually kind of a cool mechanic is that the game really does try to push you and say like hey if these characters die they're dead like this isn't like a this isn't one of those fantasy games they're not coming back no no phoenix down here no phoenix down your characters die they die and uh but there are rewards for keeping your characters alive it's fun just like in life just like in life and now uh sweet home became a a rather popular game in the horror gaming community as it was really one of the first survival horror style type games it also made use of quick time events inventory management and character driven storylines all hallmarks of future survival horror games such as resident evil during development of resident evil a lot of different elements were pulled directly from sweet home the man setting puzzles uses of notes and diary entries to progress plot multiple endings and even mechanics like characters having specific items for example jill in resident evil has lock picks where chris has a lighter i don't know why they can't have the other item well jill has lock picks because she is the master of unlocking fujiwara entrusted mikami with developing the game because mikami often noted how he hated being scared fujiwara saw this as a strength because he felt that mikami understood what was frightening so his boss essentially said you are easily frightened you can make the horror game (laughs) Which I love. I love that his boss was like, you're scared so easily. I'm going to make you get scared more. (laughs) Now, Mikami primarily worked on the game alone during the first six months. Uh, During this time, he wrote 40 pages of script, designed the characters, and created concept sketches of the various characters, settings, and monsters. Mikami was inspired by movies like The Shining, George Romero's zombie films and other various horror movies that he was watching to kind of get him into the, I guess, the scared vibe that he needed to be in to create this game. During this time, there was also a potential for the game to become a 3D first-person game, which would have been one of the earlier 3D first-person games in general. Like, um, I mean, Doom came out obviously prior, but Doom wasn't really a 3D game. Um, it, you just kind of fakes 3D. So this would have been an early 3D first person game if it, this did happen. But Mikami discovered a little game called Alone in the Dark. Yeah, hopefully he got farther than the attic. <laughs> he, I hope so too. Alone in the Dark would lead him to set the game with a fixed camera for its perspective. Right, which Alone in the Dark has, which I don't think I mentioned when 
recover recapping it. And Mikami actually directly credits Alone in the Dark with this change of camera view. Now Mikami toyed with the idea of co-op being in the game, but opted out of it due to the limitations of the PlayStation hardware. So while Resident Evil was later ported to other systems at the time, so it was ported over to the Saturn and the um, PC, the focus was on PlayStation hardware, so they really needed to make sure it ran properly for PlayStation hardware before they even considered other consoles. The game went from various stages in development, with levels and other mechanics being often removed or added as they went through each build. Areas such as the graveyard were available in early builds, uh, but eventually were removed from the final project. And for Resident Evil fans, th there is a graveyard setting in a later revision of the game that came out. Early footage of this could be seen in the 1995 V-Jump Festival presentation that was held in Japan. Another removed feature was real-time weapon changing. So you would have been able to, you know, swap weapons on the go, as opposed to how you do it in the game, which is you pause the game, you go into your inventory, you select the weapon that you want, you uh, equip it, and then you leave your inventory, and now you have the weapon. <laughs> which is how Alone in the Dark does it. You have to actually pause, and it, because it's a DOS-based game, uh, it's quicker to just like run with different like keyboard shortcuts. So it's like, enter, pause, switch, 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 pick a different thing, and re-equip. Now, the animation in Resident Evil was done by referencing books and videos of people, spiders, and other animals moving. Oddly enough, Capcom did not make use of their motion capture studio for the work on the Resident Evil project. As the project got closer to a final build, the Resident Evil team had grown to about 80 people. They also were working on porting the game to the Sega Saturn, and a cast of American actors were hired to film the full motion video sequences. All Japanese releases of the game contained English voice acting with Japanese captions and text. A Japanese voice cast would be hired to do the dub, but it ultimately was left unused. So, this game was based on Sweet Home, which never made it to the American market. They then hired all Americans and filmed all the FMVs in American, all English, <laughs> I mean, and then just subtitled it for Japanese, but they didn't bother even dubbing it in Japanese. So the market that was excited to get this game wouldn't even get a game in their own language. <laughs> and like you said, they hired a, a Japanese voice cast to do the dub, and they actually did record all of the dialogue in Japanese. It has never been used. To couple that, the game is famously plagued with some poor translations of the original script to English. So various lines of dialogue in the game come off as being very literal or just poorly performed. This mansion is gigantic. We could get into trouble if we get lost. We should start from the first floor, okay? And Jill, here's a lockpick. It might be handy if you, the master of unlocking, take it with you. Thanks. Maybe I'll need it. Oh, Barry! That was too close. You were almost a Jill sandwich. <laughs> You're right. Barry, thanks for saving my life. Now, if you listen to those, it's funny because the actors who were doing it were, they spoke English and they translated things, but they didn't localize things. Mm -hmm. So you get this weird 
kind of situation where the wording can sound off. And in fact, when the game was being planned for an American release, they didn't change any of the acting or voice work. However, something did change. Capcom found that they that trademarking the name Biohazard was near impossible, as there was already a video game called Biohazard Battle, and there was also a music band called Biohazard. So it'll be difficult to get another video game called Biohazard into the market. It's also a term that I think would be just hard to copyright anyway, because medical supply companies will write biohazard on things. Even if they brought it to be trademarked, it would probably be rejected as a trademark because it's just such a broad term. No one could own biohazard as a word. So the team at Capcom ended up doing was they had a company contest because Harvest Initiatives is how all the work is done as employers love to poll employees to get answers. So they had a contest, what name they were going to use for the American release. And it was Resident Evil was the winner of them all. What's fun is they've been releasing them remastered on Steam and they have like the original Japanese names included with the remastered version. So in my library on Steam, I have Resident Evil 0 parentheses biohazard parentheses yeah yeah it's great my favorite thing is the seventh game in the series in america is called resident evil 7 biohazard in japan it's called biohazard 7 resident evil that's good i'm glad they had an intersection now the north american and european versions of the game did go through some heavy changes and not in terms of the writing or the actual acting the changes were actually to the opening fmv which was heavily cut down and edited so in the original fmv it's actually in color and there is some blood and stuff that you can see it was changed to black and white and a lot of the more gory shots that you would see in the fmv in the japanese version were completely removed so they just removed like shots of gore shots of blood and also a shot of a character smoking because apparently this m-rated game could not have a person smoking No, they might have had to pay something to have somebody smoking in it. Especially if the character wasn't a villain. Oh, it was the main character. Right. Yeah, yeah there's <laughs> so there's like there's like rules when it comes to smoking in mediums like video games and movies where only villains or Russians can smoke or something like that. It's like very specific people can smoke in movies and not have like a fine be levied on you. But it's why you don't see smoking a lot in movies this day. So the game was also noticeably harder for the US release. Auto-aim functionality was completely disabled. And the ink ribbons, which are used to save at the save points, which are represented by typewriters, were reduced in overall numbers. Mikami said the reason for these changes was that the American staff wanted the game to be able to be rented and not completed in a rental period, thus making people re-rent or purchase the game. So it was all a intentional plot to make the game impossible to complete in your standard rental period. So if you were ever frustrated as a kid playing Resident Evil because it was difficult to shoot, perhaps because you needed some auto-aim assistance because the game required it when it was originally built, well, let me tell you, the reason why you are frustrated is because people wanted your money. (laughs) Now, Resident Evil is a 3D, third-person, fixed-camera survival game. In the game, you either control Chris Redfield or Jill Valentine, 
both belong to a group called Stars, which we'll go over a little bit more when we talk more about the lore. The game plays very similar to Alone in the Dark, where you must find various items to complete various puzzles and manage your amount of ammo to survive the monsters that work within the mansion you explore. I imagine they shoot Chris and Jill faster than whatever his name is in Alone in the Dark. Oh yeah, they definitely do. The game uses a form of gameplay called tank controls. Tank controls were a system used by early 3D games from this time period. It's marked by a character moving relative to the position they're in. So, for example, pressing up on the controller will move the character in the direction they face versus always forward. Pressing down makes them back up, left and right will rotate them. This differs from other 3D games where you move the character relative to the camera. You must pause your movement in order to attack, making each time you fire your gun very, very deliberate. There isn't a quick button to fire in Resident Evil. You have to press the button to aim your gun, and then you have to press the button to fire. If you press the button just to fire, I'm pretty sure nothing happens. Or you might do your knife attack, which is very weak compared to what the guns can do. Now, getting into the lore, this this lore of Resident Evil. The Resident Evil series has some actually very deep lore, and we can probably dedicate a longer episode with just a breakdown of the various storylines. In fact, if you're interested in an episode like this, send us an email and we'll tell you how to do that later in this episode. The first game, though, is set on the outskirts of Raccoon City on July 24th, 1998. Before the game, a series of bizarre murders have been reported. Some of the victims of these murders have had signs of cannibalism inflicted on them. The Raccoon City Police Department dispatches their special tactics and rescue service services, STARS, to investigate. Uh, STARS is kind of the Raccoon City equivalent of the SWAT team, I guess you could say. They're they're sent in on uh, special missions and they do like drug busts and stuff. You have to fight either the supernatural or the cocaine dealer. (laughs) So initially, Raccoon City Police Department sends the Bravo team of STARS, but contact is soon lost with Bravo team. So... (laughs) They were second. (laughs) So Alpha Team is sent in. Alpha Team is sent to to investigate specifically the disappearance of Bravo Team, which I love. So it's like, Bravo Team, we're sending you to investigate this murder. We have lost Bravo Team. Alpha Team, go find Bravo Team and see if they found who did the murders. How often do you think this happens with Alpha Team and Bravo Team? Like, are Bravo Team just, like, filled with incompetence? And they're like, all right, send out the idiots. Let's see what happens. And they're like, oh, Bravo Team appears to be gone. All right, let's get the competent people out there. Maybe they should have just sent Alpha Team first. Upon arriving at the location that Bravo Team vanished, Alpha Team is forced to retreat into an abandoned mansion. Inside the mansion, they soon encounter the threat of zombies, giant spiders, and other various creatures, which I'm sure they were not expecting when they went to go find their missing team. You soon learn that there is a zombie outbreak uh, that was caused by something called the T-Virus, manufactured by the biomedical company Umbrella, 
who actually have a secret chemical testing facility underneath the mansion. Probably was cheap property. <laughs> Probably was. So in the game itself, you choose either Chris Redfield or Jill Valentine. Choosing either offers a slightly different storyline and offers different abilities for each character, as we've discussed. Joining them on their mission is Barry Burton, the Alpha Team weapon expert and my personal favorite character, Rebecca Chambers from Bravo Team, who can supply some medical help. You actually discover her early in the game, uh, one of the surviving members of Bravo Team. Brad Vickers, the helicopter pilot, I'm pretty sure immediately dies. And Albert Wesker, the captain of the STARS program and the leader of Alpha Team. Spoiler alert, Wesker is the bad guy. He is consistently the bad guy in the remaining games, and he is the bad guy in this one too. So he's just always the bad guy. Does he fake to be good again? He fakes to be good for the first one, and then they just know he's bad for the rest of the series. Oh, okay. It's not like they get like game blind, so then like every series they're like, you're in charge of Alpha Team. <laughs> that would be funny, but no, he um he actually is secretly on umbrella payroll. This is a spoiler alert, but this game this is a major spoiler alert. alert to this game. But everyone who knows Resident Evil probably knows Wesker's the bad guy. Uh, he wears sunglasses inside and has his hair always slicked back with like greasy oil. <laughs> He's like the typical bad guy. He could smoke on camera. <laughs> he could, yeah, he could smoke on camera. There is also a sixth member of the uh, Alpha Team, Joseph Frost who dies literally during the FMV of the of the game. Uh, his death is actually the reason the characters retreat into the mansion. He's mauled by a zombie dog. Oh, poor Joseph Frost. If you choose Chris, then Barry will be separated from the team. If you choose Jill, then Chris is separated from the team. And personally, I love playing as Jill because then you get the best lines of dialogue, which I've included some audio from earlier, where Barry, like... Again, calls Jill a master of unlocking or tells Jill that she was almost a Jill sandwich, which is just lines you don't get with Chris. <laughs> and those are some really good dialogue pieces. Also, you just get interactions with Barry and Barry is like, there's this one moment where he gives Jill a rocket launcher and she's like, Barry, what about you? And he's like, don't worry, I have this. And he just holds up his like handgun. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Barry, okay, you're good. <laughs> there are actually four endings to the game with two good endings and two worst endings. And the endings are determined on if you can rescue the other members of stars. And the and the worst endings are that's what they that's what Resident Evil calls it, right? Yes, yeah, they call them the worst endings. Um, not like bad ending, worst ending. It's just you either have best endings or worst endings. Before the release, Fujiwara had anticipated the game to sell around 200,000 copies, and the game was released in 1996 and did much better than he anticipated. The original game sold 2.75 million units and became a best-selling PlayStation game. By 1997, the game had sold 4 million units and has grossed more than $200 million. A director's cut and a director's cut DualShock version <laughs> were released following the success of the original game and all versions would go on to sell 5.08 million units worldwide. What a great success for Fujiwara. And, and Mikami, who worked so hard on the game, being scared. I'm glad his scaredness 
provided them to have great success. Now, Resident Evil became the game that coined the term survival horror. The term would spawn from the fact that some Japanese PlayStation 1 games would have a genre printed on their case. On the original Japanese release of Biohazard, it says survival horror as the genre. The game would go on to inspire an entire genre of titles. It also, due to the success of the game, spawned an entire franchise. After the first game, a total of 27 Resident Evil games have been produced. This includes a number of sequels and spin-offs, though there are currently seven numbered sequels, with the most recent game, Resident Evil Village, being released in 2021. The Vill of Village being the 8? The 8, yeah, it's stylized as uh, V-I-I-I for 8, but it yes. looks like Vill. There have also been various remakes of the first three games and a prequel called Resident Evil zero so if you like resident evil there is a lot of games to choose from or if you want to get into resident evil there's a lot of games to play point in fact once resident evil came out with the term survival horror everyone went back in time and made alone in the dark and said that's a survival horror game yes and thus alone in the dark became the first 3d survival horror game However, Resident Evil would have been the game that gave the genre a name. Now, a port of the game was planned for the Game Boy Color, and a playable build is available, which you can find online, but it ultimately was canceled, and a different game called Resident Evil Gaiden was released for the Game Boy Color instead. There was also a DS re-release called Resident Evil Deadly Silence, which I can only assume is about farts. <laughs> yeah it replaces all the zombies with farts it doesn't i'm sure it's a scary game in its own right beyond video games there have also been animated cg films a series of live action films that were written by paul ws anderson all starring mila jovovich as a new character named alice there's also a new live action movie set to release in november of 2021 and there's two netflix shows it's a lot yeah. of resident evil stuff out there yeah a new show that was released just this year 2021 and a upcoming show looking to be released i believe next year which is going to focus on wesker the newest film resident evil welcome to raccoon city looks to be more of a direct adaptation of the first two games there have also been comics novels manga stage plays and various other medias for resident evil people like resident evil it makes a lot of money they make more resident evil it makes more money rinse and repeat so there was the series of live action films that were written by Paul W.S. Anderson. These films, like the first two are kind of like the first two Resident Evil games. And then they just go hog wild. They are the weirdest movies. Comparing them to the games, it is beyond absurd. One of the movies, I'm not making this up. One of the Resident Evil movies begins with a narration from the character Alice, who is an entirely new character added into for these films, where she describes how the T-virus has destroyed all life on the planet, right? The movie immediately following that has her in a forest where there is certainly life on the planet. But wait, wasn't all life destroyed by the T-virus? Yeah. And then she said the oceans dried up and you see an ocean in the next they just completely ignored their previous movie well maybe maybe it was just a multiverse type deal it might have been um uh but yeah that is resident evil so i've played most of the first game the original first game and i've played a lot of the the later releases and they are seriously just like b-movie games but in the best kind of way 
there's there's a sequence in i think it's resident evil 5 where you're confronting wesker and you're like standing facing him and the camera just like zooms in on his face and he reaches up and he grabs his sunglasses and he throws them at you and the camera just like does a tracking shot of his sunglasses as they come like flying towards you like they're a threat it's just such a ridiculous sequence of of events that occurs Uh, there's another part where you're blocked by a giant boulder and you have to punch it to get it out of the way (laughs) like it's a boulder that's like four times bigger than your character is that in four no that's in five but there is a sequel there's stuff similar to that in four four you play as um leon leon that's right and he's got his um he's got the pistol Uh, they're they're all great games and uh if you want us to cover any of the other resident evil games there's a bunch of them and we probably will i mean two is considered a classic in its own right and there's nemesis code veronica all those games where's uh pyramid head from silent hill oh specifically silent hill 2 but we can get to that another time too when i was a kid i used to get resident evil and silent hill confused (laughs) That's fair. The way I determine them as different is Resident Evil is about things that are actually like out there to kill you, like zombies. Uh, Silent Hill is about your emotional struggle. (laughs) The main Silent Hill, the first one, the horror is existential dread. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to get into our Byway Pass segment. So for those of you who are just joining us, this is the segment where we talk about some games that we are excited about by waiting or passing on. We have slightly updated this segment as of the last episode, where we will be uh, presenting each other with games. And then we might ask for the title. And once we get the title, we'll do a brief little pause where Seth and I will do our own independent research for a bit. And then when we use the magic of podcast editing, we'll get back and uh, we will make our judgment. Uh, So Seth, do you want to go first? Sure. Zach, today I'm going to introduce to you a game where I'm going to try to be vague with this game so it doesn't give it away, but slowly uncover it like like an onion. Uh, So in this game, you need to have friends. I have those. And you're going to end up fighting those friends. But this time, your friends and you are not going to be normal people or even like realistic people or like supernatural people. You're like, you don't have superpowers or anything, but you're going to be puppies and kittens and other fuzzy creatures where you have to paw it out with your friends, both online and offline, and interact with the world under a realistic physical engine it is called party animals this sounds very similar to the game the kitty one that is kitty fighters what is this one called again i'm sorry party animals all right party animals i looked this up uh so this game looks cute as seth has described it definitely requires probably having a few people to play it with me so i I would put it down as probably a wait because i need to see how many of my friends i can get to play this game but personally i do like the idea of a combat game with all of these cute little creatures and there's so many of them there's like puppies and a duck and a, a lizard it, it looks very cute it looks very fun it looks like oh, it looks harmless it doesn't look like intense fighting game that's for sure it doesn't even look as intense as the, the kitty game i sent you this looks yeah. like kind of goofy but yeah i'll put it down as a wait I, i'll see if um any of my friends are interested in it it's currently not holding great early reviews but <laughs> i'll still um i'll still uh put it down as a wait so seth the game that I'm going to describe to you. Ooh, I'm excited. Let me put on my listing ears. I usually keep them off for the podcast. Uh, so this is a 
I'm going to start off vague, and then I'll probably read from the description. This game is a first-person perspective game. It is a puzzle game. Ooh. It ooh. is non-Euclidean. Uh-huh. So in the game, you immerse yourself in a in a different reality, and you have to ooh. kind of bend reality to figure out puzzles. This game is called, are you ready? Yeah. Glitch Phobia. I'm actually really glad that Zach brought this game to my attention. I did not know this game existed. It's called, yeah, Glitchphobia. Um, it looks like it's going to be out when it's when it's out. I don't know if we discussed Party Animals is to be announced. And it does look like a puzzle platformer. It's, it looks like it says games that are relevant to me are Portal and Abduction, which are both games that I enjoy. I also really like Superliminal, which is what looks like Superliminal. Uh, so I am actually going to probably put this down as a buy. Oh, so excited! This looks good. This looks like a good game. I'm gonna. It looks like the type of game that I enjoy going through. But so that's it. That's gonna be our byway pass. So wait and a buy. Well, we've come to that point where we have wrapped up this episode, and it has been 100 episodes of the Classic Gaming Brothers. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to us. We do appreciate it. You know, we wouldn't have made it to 100 if not for the adoring fans that we have out there. 200 episodes probably would have because we would just keep churning in episodes to be honest yeah happy 100th episode again well you've reached the end of the episode congratulations now comes our favorite part and your favorite part where we talk about listening to us supporting us and contacting us so if you want to listen to us you've already done it here you are you've listened to the voices the words the voices that come out of our mouth <laughs> it's like some creepy horror the words that come out of our mouth and you've been enjoyed it so now you wish to listen to us on something else well we are available on most podcasting apps you can even listen to us within the facebook group itself you can listen to us on podbeam spotify stitcher and itunes now when you're all when you're listening to us you may want to support us because you're like man i really like these classic gaming brothers may i want to give them something more than just a listen well actually a listen's pretty good uh we'll take it and if you can let somebody know that you like listening to the podcast and maybe get someone else to listen to the podcast, that'd be great. And if you could give us a rating on whatever podcasting app that you listen to us on, uh, give us a like if you like an episode or because you, you can like specific episodes on some services. So you can do that. I know Podbeam has the ability where you can hard episodes. Uh, so feel free to drop those. Give us comments on our social media. Uh, you can always give us ratings on the different platforms like iTunes and that all drives more people to listen to the podcast which is great for us because we like people to listen because at the end of the day we're just out spreading the good word of classic gaming brothers so that's really what we're doing and hopefully if you like it maybe somebody else does too that's at least the logic that gets me to sleep at night now finally you want to contact us there's a number of ways that you can contact us first we have all of our social medias that you can follow or like so we have a facebook we have an instagram we have a twitch and we have a Twitter. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch are all at Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. Now, if you want to reach us directly without just saying like random comments or whatever, you can always send us an email. You can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or various other iterations such as Seth at classicgamingbrothers.com, Zach at classicgamingbrothers.com, or classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com. Whatever you wish to 
to email us, you can always send those in. It puts you into the running to win a free video game from a list of free video games. So by all means, it'll be great. You can win it. We'll pull from our hat or our bin or whatever we pull names out from and you can win it. You can also contact us on a contact form, which is on our website, which I haven't talked about yet, but we have a website. It's classicgamingbrothers.com. And at that website, you can contact us and you can listen to us all on that website. It's great. And you can support us by going to our merch store. It's like a one-stop shop. So that's it. That's everything. Am I missing anything? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's That's right. right. Yeah, I've always thought Pyramid Head was some Resident Evil game. No, yeah, he's not. He's from Silent Hill.